Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined alongside with John Manuel, reporting from the winter meetings in Orlando, Florida. And before we uh, talk to John, I want to remind you that the Baseball America Podcast is sponsored by MLB Network, and we have a special uh, offer for our podcast listeners. If you go to BaseballAmerica.com slash MLB Network, you can get the four-for-four trial, where you get four trial issues for $4. So check that out now, and you can get – Sign up for that right now, and you'll get to see uh, top ten prospects as we move on into the National League coming up. So plenty of good content coming up. But right now we have John is uh, is reporting from the winter meetings, and and in I from what I understand, relatively cold Orlando, although not as cold as it is here in North Carolina. But uh, but so what have you thought of the winter meetings up to now, John? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, you know, a lot of productive productive uh, meetings. We've had a lot of meetings down here, but also I think. You know, just the lobby vibe has been uh, – I think it just started off with a big shot across the bow of Jason Worth and that contract with Philadelphia, I mean, uh, with Washington. And that kind of caught everyone off guard. And, uh, you know, since then, you just had a lot of interesting, uh, you know, rumors uh, regarding Cliff Lee. But I think they are earth-shaking. I mean, you know, we did have today, um, you know, Scott Boris uh, came through and, you know, he was followed. I think it was kind of funny, J.J., and Jim Callis and I both smirked watching the which reporters were trailing uh, Scott Boris. I'm sure you can guess which one was trailing his little group. Um, but it was, a, it was the usual suspects, we'll put it that way. But, uh, you know, the Carlos Pena signing happened today. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, a, little, a, lot of the, a lot of the same that you always get at a winter meetings, a lot of rumors, a few signings. I think the big news everyone's just waiting on some Cliff Lee or Carl Crawford news. And, uh, you know, there's obviously the two big free agents that are out there, and uh, everything else is a, almost window dressing. And, of course, for us, it's uh, Rule 5 fever. Yeah, I, I was going to say, have you have you caught the fever? I, I, I don't even have uh, – I don't even think uh, even Cowbell could cure me of the fever. But uh, tomorrow I'll, I'll get my fix. I'll get my Rule 5 fix. We've been trolling the lobby the last couple of nights uh, with Rule 5 names and – you know, people on their smartphones looking up uh, our preview that we already did and um, gathering a couple more names here or there. But I think our first preview, what tends to happen here, uh, you know, is that we'll throw a preview out there. Now, a lot of those names get sent, you know, get bounced back at us in the echo chamber that is the baseball industry. And a lot of people keep secrets as well, and people do keep secrets pretty well in baseball. So uh, some better than others. But, yeah, I think they're going to be. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's the interesting thing with this is that this is one of the cases where we understand, I mean, when you're hitting up sources and you're talking to, to scouts who've seen guys and all, pretty much what you're going to get is they'll mention to you guys they've seen or guys they've heard are good that their team's not interested in, correct? I mean, you're not really yeah, going to hear, hey, we saw this, you know, this guy, he's great in the Mexican League and no one knows about him. Well, you're not going to hear that guy. So... We're not going to bat a thousand on these, you know, on the names of guys are going to get picked, but we can get a lot of the rumblings of guys that are out there, and a lot of them are, are somewhat apparent, correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the guys that we put in our preview as the most, even in the in the magazine when we did uh, when we didn't have uh, you know the list of official eligible players yet, so we did we we focused our preview really more on what the draft has meant in recent years, and Matt Eddie, Matt and I discussed on last week's podcast. I thought Matt's preview was, and I've actually had Matt's preview quoted back to me several times this week as well. So that was well received as I should have been. Matt did a tremendous job on that, uh, as he, as he always does, but he really, you know, 
the rules and procedures part of the Baseball uh, America prospect blog is Matt's domain. He did a great job with that Rule 5 preview. A lot of the names uh, that we put in there, Anuri Rodriguez of the uh, Rays was one of the names we put in there at the start. And I'll be shocked if he doesn't go. I had a scout tell me that uh, there was, you know, he was an 88 to 91, 92 type of guy during the regular season, a lot more 88 than 91 and 92s. Um, but here, here's a guy who's you know, showing a lot more velocity in winter ball and shorter stints. Uh, I heard some 92, 94s on Anuri Rodriguez. So he's going to go. And especially there's not a whole lot of projection there either because you're talking about a guy who did have some success at AAA as well. Right. I mean, he started the year in AA and was good and then moved up to AAA and was very solid. And, you know, maybe this isn't the best way to look at it, but for me, Carlos Monasterio had a last year's draft, had some modest success as a middle reliever in AA, gets rule five, and winds up making 13 starts for the Dodgers. So I know Anuri Rodriguez is better than that guy or has a better chance to stick, has a better chance to contribute, has had more success at upper levels, has started, has thrown 150 innings in a regular season. I have more information on Anuri Rodriguez, and I, I think he's a better chance to be a success than Carlos Monasterios was. And Carlos Monasterios was the most successful player out of last winter's Rule 5 draft. So I think the talent pool is a little bit better this year. We always poo-poo it. I think it's a little bit better this year uh, when you have a guy like Anuri Rodriguez at the top of it, a guy who's, like you said, there's just not a lot of projection you have to do there. The real question is how much projection is left. You know, how much better will Anuri Rodriguez be? Is he just a fifth starter? Even as a, if he's just a fifth starter, I think he's worth it. Hey, when Kevin Correa is getting two years guaranteed money from the Pittsburgh Pirates, no offense to Kevin Correa, I think Anuri Rodriguez could produce – Similar big league numbers as Kevin Correa could over the next two years for a lot uh, less money. And, and that's what's up. That's a lot of what people are looking for in the Rule 5. I mean, there, we, there's the huge success stories, the, the Josh Hamiltons and the Joaquin Sorias. But as much as that, you'll see, like last year we saw, that the first guy taken was really taken in part because he would be a, a, a major league minimum backup outfielder. Right. Yeah, that's good. The Yankees definitely – the Yankees traded a big league piece of their bullpen in Brian Bruni for a reserve, you know, right-handed bat platoon fifth outfielder, Jamie Hoffman. And, and they wound up finding the same kind of guy in Greg Golson, uh, Art's favorite player from back in the day, Art being our Philadelphia caller who called the office. The toll-free number, and Art takes advantage of that. Uh, he used to love him some Greg Golson. But, uh, you know, Jamie Hoffman couldn't even beat out Greg Golson. So, yeah, I think Matt did a great job of detailing that, how the first pick isn't always the best pick. And, uh, you know, talking to, in the lobby today, I uh, got this a lot today when you talk to people about the Rule 5. They said, well, you know, we're, we've got our list together and we'll have those meetings tonight. And another guy told me that, really, if you want to see general managers and talk to general managers uh, at the winter meetings, you got to wait in the lobby till about 2.30, 3 o'clock at night. And I stayed up till two last night out in the lobby. I could not make it past that. Um, so tonight might be a later night. I might uh, might uh, start hitting up the coffee at like eleven or midnight and see how late I can make it and see if I can. Uh, I think that's when I think it's tonight is when some of these pre-Rule Five draft deals get done, where teams make trades to move up. But uh, just looking at Rodriguez as an example, uh, the guy last year had a three eighty ERA and one hundred fourteen Double A innings. He's through 123 innings, uh, 124 innings last year, 142 the year before that. 
150 each of the previous two seasons. So this is a guy you have 700 innings of, of track record on him. And, uh, you know, the last four full seasons, uh, his minimum was 120 innings. So I, that, that's a guy who, to me, seems capable and ready of contributing in the big leagues. And to me, that's a, that's a good talent for the Rule 5 draft. That's not usually what's available. Well, so what are a couple of names that you've heard that weren't in our preview? We'll link up the preview. Uh, we're going to put the podcast that you're listening to up as uh, kind of the lead on the side as part of our, our Rule 5 preview. But but uh, I think you have a couple of names that you've heard that didn't make it into our preview that we posted up last week, correct? Yeah, the first the, the first big one is Elvin Ramirez. I tweeted Elvin Ramirez's name, um, but he's probably the strongest rumor after Anuri Rodriguez and after Brad Emus the infielder in the Blue Jays system, whom we also wrote about in the online preview. Um, you know, Brad Emus, just to get him out of the way, is he's the closest thing to Dan Ugla in this draft. Uh, everyone keeps saying that same phrase. No one thinks he's going to be Dan Ugla, but no one thought Dan Ugla would be Dan Ugla. Um, but Emus is a second base slash third base uh, offensive player. You know, he, he plays above his tools. <coughs> Excuse me. He's probably a 40 runner, maybe a 30 runner. Uh, depending on who you talk to, he stole 13 out of 15 bases this year. He did a double A and triple A. So, you know, he's a savvy player. He has some power. You know, I think, again, this is a guy who can help a big league club. Uh, would it be better if he hit left-handed and ran? It's sure, it, it would be. He'd be you know, he probably would have gotten protected. But I was going to say, he wouldn't be in the Rule 5 draft. That's exactly right. Uh, so he he doesn't fit the third base profile, and he's probably not smooth enough. He's not as smooth defensively as you like at second base. But if you're looking for, I, mean, I don't think it's a stretch to keep him, and I do think he has the kind of bat that he can. You know, what, could this guy be Ty Wigginton? Could he have that kind of career? It wouldn't shock me if he has a Ty Wigginton kind of career. I think Ty Wigginton's chances of doing that were pretty minute. But Brad Emus reminds me a little bit of him. So, but the the biggest rumored name right now is Elvin Ramirez. Uh, he's the hottest name in the Rule 5, if there is such a thing. Uh, 6'3", 208. He's 23 years old out of the Dominican Republic. I've, I've always been an Elvin Ramirez fan because the one year I did the Mets top 30, he was the number 30 prospect. Uh, he was at Kingsport that year. I don't have my handbook from that season handy, but uh, he was number 30 coming out of Kingsport, and he – uh, we wrote about him as being anywhere from 87 to 94 and touching 96 with a fastball and having some awkward mechanics. He was a short strider at the time. I haven't talked to anybody who's re- remembered his mechanics this year and whether he's linked into stride out or smooth things out. But I'm looking at his Dominican numbers right now, and that's the real the real big thing with Elvin Ramirez is he's always had stuff. He's always thrown hard. This year in the Florida State League, he didn't throw a ton of strikes. I think it was almost five walks per nine innings. He's throwing strikes in the Dominican League. Uh, he's got a 218 ERA through 21 innings, four walks, 26 strikeouts. Uh, hasn't walked a guy since November 23rd in his last uh, five, six outings. He's been heavily scouted in the Dominican. I think the Mets are going to lose Elvin Ramirez. So not quite sure why that happened, uh, why the Mets didn't protect him. Uh, it seemed like a guy, you know, those, he, he fits the profile, the kind of guy who, you know, gets left off, gets gets uh, gets taken in Rule Five, a power armed Latin pitcher, and the Mets are only at 34 uh, with their Rule with their 40 man roster. So I'm a little bit surprised that he's out there, but I think it's a good bet that Elvin Ramirez will get drafted. And then, uh, and, he, and I was gonna say, and he's a guy who who 
has at least the makings of some secondary pitches as well. So he's not just a guy who goes out there and throws hard. You know, it, he, he does have uh, some, you know, breaking ball that at least has a chance to be, from what I understand, uh, you know, uh, potentially down the road an average pitch. So it'll be interesting to see with him. You know, obviously he'd be, I would assume, in a, in a bullpen role now, but but he's, he's not just a, you know, reach back and fire away guy. Right. So, I mean, he's got four pitches. You know, I don't know that he throws uh, four for strikes, um, but, you know, the, the best things about him are that uh, he does spin a breaking ball. He does have some feel for a changeup, but as I recall, you know, I think I wrote up in, in rookie ball, they had, a, you know, at times had some real fade to it, some real depth to it as a changeup, they almost split action. Um, you know, he pitches aggressively, and, uh, you know, one of the things we know, but there's a lot of rough edges with Alvin Ramirez. So, you know, a couple of years ago, Ivan Nova fit the same profile. The Yankees did not protect him. He got Rule 5 by the Padres, but he didn't stick. So getting picked is one thing. Sticking is a whole other uh, a whole other kettle of fish. I'm trying to think of other cliches I can throw in there. But, you know, he wasn't well, exactly I, I dominant. Have, I was going to say, I do have his uh, his number 30 uh, scouting report from the 2008 handbook. So I'll, I'll add this All as right. a little bonus cut here. The Mets have signed several promising position players from Latin America since Omar Minaya became general manager, but Diolis Guerra stands out by far as the best of the international pitching signees. New York, nope. hopes more depth, New York hopes more depth is on the way, with Ramirez leading a group of young Latin arms that also includes left-hander Angel Calero and right-hander Pedro P. Martinez. Uh, Ramirez has a big arm, having hit 96 regularly and sitting anywhere from 87-94 with a short, deceptive arm action. One scout who saw Ramirez at Kingsport said he'd have more velocity if the Mets could lengthen his delivery out front, and club officials said they had success doing that in instructional league. Ramirez has a wiry, strong body that allows him to generate a quick arm that helps produce a heartbreaking ball that's closer to a curveball than a slider. He has a chance to have decent control, but too much effort in his delivery to have much command, making him profiles reliever. New York likely will keep him in the rotation to get more innings in 2008 at either Brooklyn or Savannah. So that's from a couple of years ago, but I think that still somewhat sums up uh, a lot of what is Elvin Ramirez. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why he wasn't protected, why he wasn't a slam dunk. And that's, you know, the command five and a half walks per nine innings. But he struck out 8.1, uh, you know, this year. There's something there, and he's going to get popped. This is his first year as a full-time reliever in the minor league that tried starting him the last few years. I'm pretty confident that Elvin Ramirez is going to get popped. Uh, another guy who we're hearing that's uh, getting a pop is Joseph Ortiz, another left-hander. On the preview, I, I talked about several uh, Latin left-handed pitchers who are all shared the kind of the Johan Santana profile for their left-handed Latin low A. Uh, I guess I should call it a, a, the, the three L's profile. And I, every year I look for those kind of guys in the preview, and every year those kind of guys do get drafted. Uh, last year was the guy uh, the Royals took uh, from the Braves, who didn't even stick. Uh, I can't remember Edgar, his name. Edgar Osuna. Edgar Osuna, who they didn't, uh, who they the Braves allowed the Royals to keep with no compensation, if I recall correctly. Um, Ortiz is more like Fabio Castro, who was the number one overall pick a few years back. He's a little left-hander with a real good breaking ball, and he put up big numbers this year. But he's listed at five foot seven. That's the biggest number for me. Is you know, he's Tim Collins' size. Who do you think is bigger, Joseph Ortiz or Tim Collins? I had a listed 
<laughs> that's 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 a award that they'd be both uh, standing on step stools to try to win. I'd say you have those two guys and Joe Testa are all going to go back to back and see who's biggest. Uh, but Ortiz was four and one, one fifty at Hickory with fifty nine strikeouts and five walks in forty two innings. And when you have a good breaking ball, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna dominate the lower levels. That's what he did. He went to Bakersfield and uh, you know also. Uh, you know, only a couple innings there. So he only threw 44 innings. I was trying to find Ortiz in winter ball, and I hadn't uh, figured out if I'd seen him in, in winter ball. But uh, apparently it's an 88 to 91 mile an hour fastball and just a, a hellacious breaking ball at times. And, uh, you know, he's only 20 years old, and uh, he is pitching winter ball in, in Venezuela, as a matter of fact. And, again, I haven't got a scouting report necessarily. I just see the numbers, and uh, this does not seem to make sense. It's 18 innings and six and 18 games, six and two thirds innings. So he's clearly being used in a, uh, you know, a lefty specialist role in uh, oh, yeah. in Venezuela for Laguaya, and he's only uh, he's walked four, struck out five. You know, the numbers really don't tell you that much. The numbers that tell you is that five foot seven, 80 to 91, big time breaking ball. So this guy would be if this guy gets taken, it's going to be as a lefty specialist kind of guy. And we've seen those guys stick in recent years. Wesley Wright is an example of a name that the guy that the Astros took from the Dodgers and he stuck. And in fact, talking to an Astros guy in the lobby last night, you know, Wesley Wright's still kind of in that role, kind of an up and down guy, even if they tried to lengthen him out. You know, I, I think Wesley Wright is well behind other candidates for the Astros, his starter spot, like Jordan Lyles and then the veteran uh, Nelson Figueroa. I think they wish that Wesley Wright could come in and seize that role, but I don't think he's going to do that. So. You know, his best year might have been the year they, they rule five. His, that might wind up being his career best year in the major league. So, you know, Joseph Ortiz is another name uh, that's been uh, thrown out out there, um, you know, as a possibility who wasn't in our earlier preview. And, J.J., one other name, uh, I'm not sure if you stumbled across this one before or not, uh, was Jason Rice of the Red Sox organization. Yeah. Hard-going yeah. power, hard no, power right-hander. Yeah, I think you. I think uh, that name came up earlier in the week when I was uh, still in Durham last week. Uh, that sounds like a guy who just has a, 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 a again fits the profile. Really big, raw arm. Uh, you know, not a guy who's um, polished yet, but just uh, another command it. But uh, you know, really aggressive and challenges guys with fastballs. He's ninety ninety four, and at times he's even better than that. So uh, he was in Double A this year. And it wouldn't again another guy where it wouldn't surprise me. I'd say it. But for me, most of the names that we've heard bandied about here in uh, in Orlando and before we got here, uh, for the most part, it was pitchers uh, for the Rule Five. And uh, you know, if you're looking for an Everett Cabrera type in this year's draft, uh, one name that's been thrown out there, I'm not sure I buy it, but uh, Jose Perella of the Yankees, P-I-R-E-L-A. He was part of their same. International signing class back in 2006 that included uh, um, uh, obviously Montero, Jesus Montero, but also Jairo Heredia. I think Perella was one of the top four. After Montero, there were three other guys who got pretty significant bonuses: Heredia, Perella, and another guy whose name I can't pronounce. It was like Orelki Lapay or something like that. And all these guys got like 300 to 350 thousand dollars. Perella has moved to second base. Uh, he's you know, he can play a little shortstop. It's a utility infield profile similar to that of Rigi Corona, 
who's still in the Yankees organization, who was Rule 5 a couple of years ago by the Mariners, didn't stick. So uh, it wouldn't shock me to see uh, Perella get gone. But uh, back to Rice, and the thing that makes Jason Rice attractive is he's 24, so he's not like he's a finished product. He's a short power arm right-hander. He does throw hard, but he had success at double-A. You know, 71 strikeouts in 60 innings, 285 ERA. Um, so, again, a guy who has had some success at upper levels against legitimate hitters. It's not too much of a stretch to see a guy like Jason Rice helping out in your big league bullpen. And, and again, one of the things that comes back to is, is that what you're essentially doing is taking a $25,000 flyer on a guy like this. So you bring right. him into spring training, and if he doesn't look good, you haven't really lost much of anything, right? Right, fifty thousand dollars up front, and then you can get your twenty five thousand dollars back. Uh, you know, if you, if you get the player back, sometimes the teams uh, don't want the player back. You're stuck with them. So it's really it's a fifty thousand dollar flyer in in my mind. Uh, right. Yeah. I was going to say, well, yeah, unless you're if your scouting's good at all, you if there's some you would think then that you hopefully would not mind keeping them. You know, if you get to keep them in the organization for for fifty, if you have right. any interest of them at all. You know, I was thinking right. of it as the fact that you're probably going to – if the guy – if you scout a guy that you like, you probably are going to lose him, you would hope. Correct. You Correct. Know, you lose him back and if you can't. Yeah, one of the great guys uh, – one of the great stories I, I heard yesterday from a uh, from an agent was like, you know, yeah, I definitely have a couple of players who are getting Rule 5 interest, but they're all the kind of guys who either get Rule 5, they'll get offered back the first day of spring training, you know. <laughs> so uh, – and that was coming from the guy's own agent, so – but you never know. There's always there are always uh, you know deep cover names, and you know people aren't going to tell you their whole prep list, obviously. And uh, guys are looking at you know. But but the, the day of the draft tomorrow morning, we'll go in there, and there'll be some. You know, we'll they'll, it will have shaken out a little bit. We'll know before the draft who the first pick is going to be more than likely, and uh, see what happens with it. But I do expect that uh, you know, there's a chance that. Uh, organizations that we think of as very good organizations, you know, like the Tampa Bay Rays, we think of them as a really deep farm system, JJ. It wouldn't shock me if they lost two or three players, but it also wouldn't shock me if the Orioles lost a couple of players. I don't think they're going to lose Ryan Adams and Wynn Pelzer and Brandon Waring, all of whom I put in the preview. I'd be shocked, though, if they don't lose uh, Wynn Pelzer. I, I think I look at this talent pool and He's one of the better players there. Again, the guy's been to double A, has had some success, and has some stuff. Um, I think uh, we're both hoping that Stephen Vogt gets picked. I just want to see him in the big We're both Stephen Vogt fans. There's no we're, doubt about that. We're definitely Stephen Vogt fans, and uh, it'll be fascinating to see if that guy gets gone. Uh, you know, like you talk to scouts about him, and it's like, well, he plays catcher. I don't think you can say that he can catch, but he does play catcher subtle difference there. But to me, a left-handed bat who could go back there and, you know, be a passable backup catcher, um, and, I think he's interesting. And, he, I mean, he's a true 25th guy if he did get picked. I mean, you're talking about a guy, what what he would bring is is uh, reasonably, you know, he's a rather older guy for guys in high A, but a reasonably polished bat who can play at least and play, not, you know, well, but play Multiple positions. He can play some outfield. He can play some corner infield for you. He can play catcher. So, you know, you could see a guy like that possibly sticking as a 25th man. The the thing that keeps coming back on this is most of these guys we're talking about are not impact players. But that's, again, why they're in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, I mean, to me, the uh, 
I mean, absolutely, the guy who, to me, he's the, the best Rule 5 story of the last decade isn't even a guy like Hamilton or a guy like Dan Ugla. And to me, it's Joachim Soria, you know, a guy nobody knew anything about and had made seven uh, outings domestically uh, in, in domestic leagues before he'd been kind of like farmed out by the Padres to their Mexican League affiliate. And, uh, you know, just great scouting by the Royals. And I heard a story from another club. He said, yeah, you know, we, we had, you know, this guy turned in pretty good. Uh, had a solid average on him, but we didn't pull the trigger on him. You know, we didn't have a chance to pull the trigger on him. And, uh, you know, they didn't move up to get that guy. So I think I, I like those kind of stories, the great scouting stories. And I think Joachim Soria is one of the best scouting stories, you know, in the last 10, 20 years. Cause he's been such an impactful player in Kansas City, you never know, in a different system, a different organization, he might have been made a starter by now with his repertoire. You know, uh, who knows, this guy could have been an impact starting pitcher, uh, and finding that kind of talent in the Rule 5 would have been amazing. But that was the first year of the current rules. I think this year has a much better chance of producing some players who stick and make some impact than the last couple of Rule 5s have. Uh, but I still don't think that anyone looks at the Rule 5 and uh, – as a way to turn their major league franchise around. That just that doesn't happen often enough to expect it to happen in 2010. Yeah, no, I, you know, that, and it, it will definitely be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, it's, it's kind of a nice little uh, oasis in winter, isn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. It's a good way for it to, uh, it's a good way for the, uh, for me, for the rule, for the, for the winter meetings to have a nice end point. Another thing is that, uh, you know, it's a good joke. It's always easy fodder for me to, to joke with people about the, how I'm working on my Rule 5 preview. Jim Callis is joking with myself and the Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com that we should do a full Rule 5, like a mock Rule 5. Um, you know, and, and Jim says, you know, complete with, you know, passing on guys, you know, which teams pass, even the teams that aren't at 40 and who they're going to, which ones they're going to pass and, you know, predict the trades and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Well, I think uh, we're still trying to decide. It depends on our internet connection tomorrow in the room where they have the Rule Five, whether or not we'll just tweet it. We might just tweet every pick. Um, which if we do that, uh, probably do that at John Manuel BA at my account, and uh, then we can try to retweet those uh, you know, on the Baseball America Twitter account, or I could just do them at the Baseball America Twitter account, and uh, and if we have a good enough connection. Uh, you know, I'll live blog it and co- with commentary, and Matt and Eddie will just keep up with each pick. But Matt and I will both uh, be in full Rule 5 mode tomorrow during the draft, which I believe is at 9 a.m. Uh, in the morning, Eastern time. And uh, I'm sure we'll have lots of uh, Pacific Coast time uh, Rule 5 draft Knicks who are up at 6. Rule 5 with your morning coffee, what could be better than that? Um, I think a lot of things probably. But <laughs> – We'll wake up Aaron Sid and make Aaron do a post-game podcast with us. If you would, though, describe for, for people just what what it looks like there as the Rule 5 is going on. Yeah, you know, the best part, I think, about the Rule 5 room is that uh, what I love about it is that everybody rolls in with their, with their, uh, you know, with their luggage. <laughs> it's a big room. They get a banquet hall or that kind of thing. 30 tables for all 30 organizations, obviously, and usually a pretty big video screen set up at the front, not so much with highlights of players, but just like a big TV, and then you can see each pick pops up when it's announced. And there are microphones set up with those tables, so 
when it's your turn to pick, your organization is supposed to send someone up to the microphone and say, uh, you know, with the first pick of the Rule 5 draft, the Chicago Cubs select Josh Hamilton, and then we're going to trade him to Cincinnati. You know, that's kind of how it works. I don't think it was the first pick, but, you know, you, know, you get my drift. Uh, I guess it was the third pick that year. Uh, but that's what the, that, that's kind of how it goes. And it's really set up the way, excuse me, it's set up the way that you wish the Major League Baseball Rule 4 draft was set up, really, uh, in a room. Everybody's in the same room. And then there's actually an audience because it's everybody else in baseball who's at the meeting still comes to watch, um, which is just fascinating to me. There's the, the, the table at the front, and there's a little a couple media tables set up there after that because, you know, what else are the media going to do that day? And then there's just like, you know, the rest of it usually is just chairs or standing room, and people are actually sitting there watching the draft, which is, again, I almost wish they would televise it just to see what it would be like on TV. Uh, I, would love, I would love for MLB Network to show it. I do believe Jim Callis is actually going to be on XM uh, radio afterwards, as he has been every year for the last four or five years. Well, he will offer commentary about the Rule 5 after it's done. Uh, but the first year that XM existed, JJ, they had Jim on there, and they did, they did the Rule 5 live and expected Jim to have a comment on every single player. <laughs> That's not exactly. always easy right there. No, it is not. And, uh, and when you get out to the double-A portion, that's impossible. That's right, and that's right. So now Matt Eddy, being the Rule 5 draft pick that he is, I think he's actually going to be more into the double-A and triple-A phases. That's one of the things uh, that is fascinating is how these teams construct, construct their rosters. And the, the Mariners are a great example of this. In the Rule 5 preview, we talked about, um, oh, what's the guy's name, Ramon Morla, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with with Seattle, uh, he's one of the Ronnie Morla. Ronnie Morla. Uh, no, that's what I, I, I think I was right the first time. Ramon Morla. Yeah, yeah I, I think was right the first time. And he's 21 years old. He hasn't been out of uh, rookie ball. And they are our number six prospect in the uh, Appy League this year. But he's also uh, not. He, he's so you could majorly rule five of them and try to take him from Pulaski to the big league. And that road, that that road is pretty long. <laughs> or. But, that but, but that's your only, earth, I think. But that's your only chance. You, you either rule five of them in the big league level or you don't at all because they put him on the AAA Tacoma roster, and that was smart. Uh, they did not put him uh, – they, they put him on their AA roster, which is now the Jackson Generals, uh, and then you could have – you would have had to – you could have taken him in the AAA phase and had a nice prospect in the AAA phase for $12,000, and that's a little bit more of a doable you know, kind of jump. They actually have some interesting players on their double-A roster, guys that names you would recognize, like Stephen God, and I won't scream it, or Nolan Gallagher, you know, lead singer of, uh, of Oasis and former Stanford right-hander, one of my favorite uh, Montana natives. Um, so there's, you know, there's some interesting – that's another interesting part to watch. Or like you know, Quentin Berry. I can almost guarantee you Quentin Berry out of San Diego State uh, was a Phillies project for a little while. And is now uh, in the Padres system. He's been released. He'll probably get taken in the Double A phase because the Padres have him and they put him on the Lake Elsinore roster. I mean, that's a guy who it makes sense that you take him as a good organizational player for your Double A team. Well, you know, he's had some success. And if you're an organization that's thin, you know, at the Double A level, Quentin Berry for four thousand dollars is a good guy to go out and get the Double A phase. So I'm mildly interested in that part. I believe that uh, Matt Eddy will have a significant uh, minor league Rule 5 analysis 
on the blog Friday or Saturday or the first of next week and, when and it I, all shakes out. And, and I feel confident to say that is the only significant analysis of the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft that you'll find anywhere. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, um, I really hope so. But, I mean, like, you know, Yancey, uh, you know, no, uh, Jeffrey Basil, he's another guy like that. I mean, there's some older guys who are uh, – Kiyagawa. Kiyagawa's on the double-A roster for the uh, for the Yankees. I mean, he's already the all-time career wins leader at uh, Scranton. Uh, why not triple-A rule five that guy? He's shown he could be a fine triple-A pitcher. So that's, that's going to be interesting to watch. There was another Yankee I meant to mention earlier, Craig Heyer, right-handed pitcher, who threw very well for them uh, in the Arizona Fall League. He could get rule five. He's a control guy. I, but, you know, when you see he, he sinks the ball, I think when you see um, guys like a, a David Herndon or who was the guy who was in Philadelphia this year who stuck? Was it David Herndon? Uh, there were two. There, there were two Angels uh, right-handers who were Rule Five last year, and one stuck and one didn't. I think it was David Herndon who stuck. Uh, and a thinker baller. Yeah, it was David Herndon. Uh, but a guy, a right-handed pitcher, who sinks it and keeps the ball in the ballpark. That guy has a chance to 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 be a twelfth guy. You know, eat up some innings in the back of a bullpen. And I, I think that's the kind of guy that Craig Heyer could be. So. You know, David Herndon was on Philadelphia, you know, play, obviously a playoff team, on their big league roster all year and had a, you know, 430 ERA, probably a little bit worse than league average. He had a lot of hits, but, he, you know, he got two out ground outs for every air out. That's a, two home runs allowed. That's that's what you'd be looking for in Craig Heyer. It'd be a 12th guy at a low cost. And, uh, you know, that, that's really the kind of the role the Wolf 5 plays right now. But – well, they, we will, as you mentioned, we'll be covering the uh, the Rule 5 extensively tomorrow, starting at 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern. We'll have the, the podcast that you're listening to here, plus you can also check out the top, the uh, the names that we posted, that you posted last week, I believe 25 names, and Matt, uh, Eddie's look at the last uh, decade of, uh, of Rule 5 uh, picks and, and kind of who's made an impact, who hasn't, and, and all that. So check that all out, baseballamerica.com. And for John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.